Well, good morning. In our sermons through the, the Gospel of Matthew, if you remember where we finished off, we, we completed the Olivet Discourse, and so that means we're ready for chapter 26, which really begins the last section of Matthew, which is often called the, the Passion of Christ. And so in light of that, I decided that it was a good time to take a break from <laughs> the, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Lord willing, I plan to pick that up um, next calendar year, and, and that'll get us ready for um, the Easter season as we study that. And I thought, well, it, let's get into the Old Testament. Uh, I'd like to study the Old Testament with you. So next Sunday, we're going to begin a, a new series through the book of Joshua. And I'm excited to go, that, go through that book with you. I've never preached or taught through that book before. And it's a book that highlights the power of God and his, God's faithfulness to keep his promises. So that's our plan beginning next week um, to study Joshua, which of course Joshua is named that because the central human character is Joshua, the son of Nun, who is, is called upon to lead the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan. But as you know, I trust that the hero of, of the book of Joshua is not Joshua, it's God, right? Because the Bible is about God, and it's, uh, God is the one who's going to powerfully deliver the Canaanites into Israel's hands. God is the one who's going to faithfully fulfill the promises that he makes to the nation of Israel. And so God's the hero, but he's going to do that through Joshua. And so next week, Lord willing, we'll dive into that. But what I want us to do today to get ready for that is... Uh, to consider and study how God prepared, how God raised up Joshua for that task. Okay, so the title of the sermon today is God Prepares Joshua. And we're going to look at several passages. This is going to be kind of like a quick survey through um, Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, um, highlighting where it speaks about Joshua. Okay, so that's our plan today. Uh, We're going to I trust, discover how God prepared Joshua to lead the nation of Israel to claim the promised land of Canaan. So just start thinking about that with me, right? That was a huge uh, task Joshua was given, <laughs> to lead a whole nation into this, into this new land where they were going to face all kinds of enemies, right? And so how would God be, prepare Joshua for that, for this enormous leadership role? What, what truths about God were essential for Joshua to know and to believe and to be clinging to as he started to do that? What convictions did Joshua need to have as he prepared to lead the Israelites into the land of Canaan? Well, that's what I want us to consider as we do this quick survey because Many of those truths, many of those convictions are the same ones that we need to have today as followers of, of our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So there are things that we need to be reminded of, things that we need to, to be clinging to as we seek to be Christians in this fallen world. So I've organized our time under three headings today. It's going to be uh, Joshua's training and what Joshua's faith. And then lastly, Joshua's commission. Okay, so let's first consider Joshua's training. Now, many of you are familiar with the story of the Exodus, right? 
how um, the, the descendants of Jacob, God had already started keeping his promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to making them into a great nation. The descendants of Jacob had went down to Egypt at the time of the famine. There they grew into that great nation and um, a new Pharaoh arose, right, and, and put them into, under slavery and they were in slavery for 400 years. So think about it and then Joshua is part of that group that is led out of a bondage, right? So Joshua himself would have grown up in slavery, Right? He would have grown up un- under the bondage that, to the Egyptians. So again, I'm just kind of using a little imagination here, but I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Joshua had felt the, the sting of the, of the foreman's whip right, on his back. He knew how the Egyptians worshipped a slew of false gods. And then as a young man, Joshua would have witnessed God bring those ten powerful plagues upon the Egyptians And each plague was a powerful act of judgment upon Egypt's so-called gods, right? I mean, that's a whole other study. That's a whole other series of sermons. But just as you think about the plagues, not only were they just showing that God is creator, but they were specifically in judgment against the the very gods that Egypt served. And so with each plague, um, the Lord, Yahweh, was, was showing, I am the true God, Right? And so Joshua, again, would have, along with the other Israelites, would have experienced that. He would have, he would have seen all those plagues hit the, the Egyptians, but yet um, the Israelites be spared. And, and I thought about the last one, how Joshua, along with his family, would have celebrated that first Passover. How they would have killed the spotless lamb and spread its blood on the doorposts of the home so that the Lord's angel of death passed over them, sparing the firstborn while the firstborn of every Egyptian home was killed, right? So Joshua would have lived that. He would have been with the, the, the group then as they're leaving after that last plague and as the Egyptians are literally giving them their, their valuables saying, get out of here lest we all die, right? You know, it's like the, the most peaceful plundering ever in one sense, right? They, they plundered the Egyptians that way. He would have seen that. Joshua would have experienced Pharaoh's army bearing down on them then, As he and the rest of the Israelites were trapped, so it seemed, against the Red Sea, then Joshua would have seen God powerfully part the Red Sea, and he and the rest of the Israelites went across on dry ground with the water standing on either side of them, and then Joshua would have witnessed how that water crashed down on on Pharaoh's army, drowning them all. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Is where we can begin then. Exodus 15, page 57 in the Black Bibles. Joshua would have sung then. 15 happens right after the the deliverance through the Red Sea. Joshua would have sung along with the other Israelites the praise of Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. You think those were truths that would be important to him later when he's going and leading the the armies into Canaan? Now turn ahead to chapters Exodus 17. 
Again, thinking about Joshua's training, the truths that he was learning, here's one. Joshua discovered that although God's people are called to participate, the battle ultimately belongs to the Lord. Again, the Red Sea would have shown that, but he sees that here in Exodus 17 uh, when they defeat the Amalekites toward the, the second half of the chapter there. In Exodus 17, the Israelites found themselves at war with the Amalekites. You begin reading about that in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. With Moses and Aaron and Ur uh, went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put him under it. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So Joshua was the one leading the Israelites in battle. And again, you see, when Moses' hands were lifted, they prevailed. But when they fell, the Israelites started losing. And, and all of that was to show them and teach them that their dependence on the Lord. That it's the Lord who fights for them. The battle belongs to the Lord. Then verse 14 The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So I mean that now we're even talking about some specific prophecies for a certain people group here. But again, we're seeing that these these victories, these these lessons are are to be um, ingrained in Joshua's thinking, even recorded for him to, to read about later. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So Joshua is being prepared for his leadership role in the future, and we see Joshua is going to need to rely on the word of God as he leads, right? That's going to be something we see several times um, throughout his training Things being written down so that he, Joshua then can later refer to it and, and be reminded of it. Moving forward then, Joshua, as part of his training, was privileged to experience times of God's special revelation. Did you know that? Joshua was privileged to experience times, at least in a, in a front row seat kind of way, of God's special revelation. Turn ahead to Exodus 24. Exodus 24. This is when God is making the the covenant with the nation of Israel. Verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificial peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. 
And Moses took half the blood and put it in, in its basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. So see, I mean, they're entering into this covenant, right? The covenant's being confirmed right now. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient, verse 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Joshua got to be, we're going to see explicitly this in a minute, but Joshua got to be one of those men. Joshua got to be one of those men who literally had dinner with God up on the mountain. Verse 12, then when the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses, verse 13, rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Ur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So 70 of them went up, and then just Moses and Joshua go up further. And again, I'm, you know, I'm not saying Joshua was right next to Moses when all that was happening, but he was, he was right up there by him, getting to witness that. Now turn to chapter 32 of Exodus. So Joshua's up there in close vicinity somewhere to Moses as he's receiving the law. You know what's happened now. Moses has been up there a long time, right? People have gotten restless. They pressured Aaron into making this golden calf that they can worship. Verse 4, Aaron starts to make it. Exodus 32, he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw this, and he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I mean, we don't have time to spend much, uh, much time to spend on it, but, I mean, they're breaking the covenant. They're, they're literally committing spiritual adultery on the wedding night here with the Lord. Already having made a, a, an, an idol and, and worth, claiming it's the Lord and, and worshiping it in the, in the debased way that they, the pagans would have or that the Egyptians would have, right? Getting drunk and sexual, there's implied there sexual immorality as well. Verse 15, then Moses turned, I mean, God tells Moses about this. We'll skip down to verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of of testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back. They were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. 
See, Joshua's up with Moses. He's not, he's not a part of that. And again, you know, bless his heart and his innocence. He's just thinking, man, what's going on? There must be a war going on. But Moses knew better. He knew what was happening. It's not the sound of shouting of victory, the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as he came, and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So Joshua is learning something about the righteous anger of of a leader, right? And he's learning a lot about people. How prone to spiritual idolatry they are. How quickly they fall into unfaithfulness. Joshua witnessed that the immediate judgment of God executed through the, the Levites there. Who knows, Joshua may have heard Moses interceding for the people, begging God to, to not leave them, to go with them on their journey. I mean, we don't have time to read all those verses now. But look ahead to the next chapter, 33, verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So again, Joshua's getting... Some kind of front row seat here for Moses' relationship with God. Now Moses had a unique relationship, right? He got to talk to God face to face. Joshua's relationship is primarily going to be through the word of God and prayer. But Joshua's seeing how important it is for a leader to have a close walk with the Lord. And he's learning that God is holy and glorious, that God is just. He's also seeing that God is merciful and forgiving, that God is a personal God who desires an intimate relationship with his people. Joshua's learning what it means to intercede for the people. Moses was a great intercessor. So some intense training happening for Joshua. And like any of us, part of Joshua's training was making mistakes. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. Right, so now we're going into another book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 11, page 119. Well, actually, we're going to be in verse 28, or beginning verse 24, so flip ahead to page 120. <coughs> in Numbers 11, the people are complaining about lack of food. Moses, quite frankly, is burned out, which is understandable. And so he's, he's, telling, he's telling God, you know, basically, what do you want me to do with these people, Right? And so God tells Moses, gather 70 men who God will equip to, to help Moses with the responsibilities. So verse 24, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud. You see where I'm at, verse 25. And spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. But as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Okay, great. Now there's this one specific instance of this, verse 26. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the, in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. Right? It's like Joshua's jealous that the people, I guess, stay loyal to Moses. He urges Moses, tell these guys to stop it. But look at what Moses says, verse 29. Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So again, we know that Moses was the, the scripture says, there was no one more humble than Moses, right? So here we see Moses' humility. He's not worried about his reputation. He's not worried about, you know, being exalted in front of people. So Joshua was learning that a leader is to focus on the good of the people and not on one's own reputation. What a great model of humble leadership he had for him as his assistant in this, what turns out to be a 40-year-plus internship (laughs) under Moses. So we'll continue to really kind of talk about elements of his training, but now let's transition into the second heading, Joshua's faith. We've seen some examples of that training, but now we're going to see Joshua's faith being exercised and, and that being confirmed which would have just strengthened his faith, right? So for this, we, we turn to um, Numbers chapter 13, right? This is the story of the spies being sent into Canaan, into the promised land, right? So now they're, the Israelites, they, they've been delivered out of Egypt. They've gone through the wilderness. The covenant's been made with them. Now they're on the edge of the promised land, the land that, well, the reason it's called promised land, right? God had promised to give it to to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. And so Moses sends out, what, 12 spies to, to spy out the land to, you know, know how best to go in and, and, and claim it. Verse 4 gives all their names. And you say, oh, I don't see Joshua there. Well, you, you do. It's just a little, it's a little different. Anybody see it? Verse 8. Hosea, the son of Nun. Right? Now look down at verse 16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Right? So already we've been, you know, he's already been being referred to as Joshua, but right here is where his name actually gets changed. Hosea means he is salvation. Joshua means the Lord, Yahweh, is salvation. And we know it's significant when a person's name gets changed. It really often hones in on what their mission will be. So Joshua's very name, the Lord, the covenant Lord, is salvation. That was going to be a constant reminder to him of that truth. So in Numbers 13, again, many of you probably know the story. They go, in, they go into the land, they spy it out for... 40 days, they come back, 10 of the spies bring a bad report. They're like, hey, the land's great. I mean, there's, it's flowing milk and honey, but man, the people, they're, they're so huge. You know, we're never going to be able to take it. We're like grasshoppers to them. They're too numerous. They're too mighty for us. So look at Numbers 14. Now having heard that report, says all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So my point is, Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who believed God's promises, right? And, and they, along with, with Moses and Aaron, right, are pleading with the people, no, don't rebel against the Lord. Trust his word. Yes, the people look mighty to us, but God is with us. Have you not, do you not remember what he did to the Egyptians? Do you not remember what he did at the Red Sea? Do you not see how he's made water flow from the rock and manna provided for you every day? Trust the Lord. Joshua is among those saying that to the people at cost of his life, right? What faith by God's grace, right? The people are so against going into the promised land, they're ready to kill Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, so they don't listen. Verse 36, skip down to there. The men whom Joshua, so the people don't listen, right? They they disobey, they rebel against God. So now we're going to see how God responds to that. Verse 36, and the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land, the ten spies who said, now we can't do it. The ten spies who didn't trust the Lord, you know what happened to them? They died right on the spot. They died by plague before the Lord, verse 37. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. So Joshua saw the immediate judgment of God on the, the other ten spies. And then he saw it on the rest of the, the Israelites. Matter of fact, he experienced it in one sense. And we won't take the time to read those verses. But in that chapter, God explains, I'm going to make you guys wander in the wilderness now for 40 years. One year for every day that the spies were in the land because you would not believe my promises. And You were worried about your little ones getting taken. Well, they're the only ones who are actually going to see the land. (laughs) Because all of you adults are going to die. That's what God says. So again, think about that. And again, I'm, I'm not saying at all that Joshua or Caleb were gloating about that. I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they were grieved, right? That whole time. But Joshua saw the judgment of God and he saw... It was confirmed, yes, we've got to believe God. We walk by faith, not by sight. Right? That experience would have burned into Joshua's mind. I mean, how many people died in those 40 years, right? Every time you're burying them. And then as they're finally ready to go into the promised land, 
Joshua and Caleb are the only old guys there, you know. I mean, everybody else has died. So that experience, trust the Lord, believe his promises, being reinforced to Joshua. Lastly, then, let's consider Joshua's commission. These are all ways God's preparing Joshua, right? The special training, just through the experiences, his faith is getting is getting tested and confirmed. Now um, he gets commissioned to be the, the leader. In Numbers 27, God tells Moses that he's going to die, that he's not going to be allowed to enter the promised land, so it's time for Moses to pass the baton to Joshua. So look at Numbers 27. We'll pick it up in verse 18. 27, 18. Page 136. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eliezer, the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. (coughs) Excuse me. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, made him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. So now... Here in Numbers, and we're going to get into Deuteronomy. Now, the 40 years has passed. Um, there, again, the judgment of the Lord has come. All the adult Israelites have died, except for Joshua and Caleb. And Moses is about ready to die. And so now they're, again, a new, the new generation, the next generation is on the edge of the promised land. And that's really what Deuteronomy is, is it's Moses telling that the new generation, he's recounting the covenant to them. He's recounting all these uh, things that have happened to the first generation as warnings, as, as lessons for them so that they will be faithful to the Lord as they go into the land. So now look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 as Moses is doing this. Um, verse 38 again tells us that Joshua is going to be the one. This is, this is God telling Moses, hey, here's what's going to happen. Um, so it's Moses actually recounting it right (laughs) he says verse 37 even with me the Lord was angry on your account and said you also shall not go in there verse 38 Joshua the son of Nun who stands before you he shall enter encourage him for he shall cause Israel to inherit it so it's telling, making it very clear to the people, Joshua's going to be your leader now. This is what God has said. Flip ahead to chapter 3, verse 21. Again, in these final instructions to the people. And I have commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. This is referencing... Um, a battle that took place back in Numbers 21, a battle with the king of Og. And that's going to be another lesson. I didn't take the time for us to read it today, but what God is saying is, hey, you, you've already seen a little bit of war, right, on this side of the Jordan. 
You've already seen God, God is saying, you've already seen me deliver these armies into your hands. And that's what I'm going to do again and again and again as you enter into Canaan. So he's telling Joshua, remember that. Remember that. Encourage him. Encourage Joshua that, hey, remember how God defeated the king of Og. Verse 28 of chapter 3. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for, sh- for he shall go over as at the head of this people and shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Okay? Now, almost done here, but one more final commission when Deuteronomy 31 because again in between all this time you have Moses recounting all the the laws to the next generation of Israelites now in Deuteronomy 31 this is where Joshua is actually commissioned by the Lord Verse 1, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord, your God himself, will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not, be, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Right. So this, this is being said to all the people. It's being said in Joshua's hearing, and it's the same, very similar language we're going to see next week, Lord willing, that God was going to reiterate to Joshua in Joshua 1. Right? Don't, be, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. Verse 9, Deuteronomy 31. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the feast of booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So people are hearing this, Joshua's hearing this, how central the word of God must be. As they go into the land. Then each generation needs to be continually taught the word of God. So that they fear the Lord. So that they are not led astray. Verse 14. The Lord said to Moses. Behold the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of meeting. That I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. So again, Moses had a unique relationship with the Lord, no doubt. But Joshua got to see glimpses of it, didn't he? He's getting direct encouragement from the Lord. He's certainly learning about the propensity of the people to rebel. If you read on in those verses, it's... Kind of disheartening in a way, to be honest with you. The Lord tells them, 
hey, I know that eventually the people are going are to forsake me. They're going to get into the land and they're going to run after other gods. So Joshua is, is being trained on the importance of the law, on, on how um, prone human hearts are to rebel and to be unfaithful. Verse 23, the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. We'll, we'll consider this encouragement next week in Joshua 1. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 34 is the final deal here. Moses lays his hands on Joshua. Verse 9, Deuteronomy 34, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. This is kind of wrapping it up, right? This is flashing back to what's already happened because Moses has just died. But we see how God has prepared Moses, right? The baton has been passed. Everybody knows he's been commissioned in front of everybody. Moses himself has trained him as an apprentice now for 40 plus years. He lays his hands on him, the spirit of wisdom. Um, He's filled with the spirit of wisdom. And so, again, that was my theme today. God prepared Joshua for 40 plus years to lead the people into the promised land. Joshua saw the Lord work miracles. Joshua participated in mighty victories that the Lord gave them. Joshua himself experienced trials and suffering. He received lots of training, both by being modeled and by explicitly being told. He received a lot of encouragement from Moses, encouragement from the Lord. And through all that, God was teaching Joshua important truths. Important truths about who God is. That he alone is God, right? Important truths about man's nature, as I've already said. And important truths about what it looks like to shepherd the people. Important truths about faith. Important truths about the word of God. So God prepared Joshua. And so I look forward to studying that with you, but I'll just close with some application now. How is God preparing you? How is God preparing you right now? Whether through formal training, whether through times of suffering, whether through simply daily walking with the Lord, what aspects of God's character has He been teaching you? What truths of the gospel has God been driving home to you? What promises of God has God been making even more precious of late to you? That's him preparing you. That's him preparing you. Now what might God be preparing you to do with these truths, with these experiences, with these Renewed convictions. What might God be preparing you to do? Obviously, we've not been called to to a task like Joshua had. But Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he has good works for us to do for his glory. What opportunities is God giving you to make disciples and to serve his kingdom? Let me just encourage you, friends. Take what God is teaching you, right? Think about it, for one, right? Let's just take the time and think about it. God, what have you been teaching me lately? Take what God is teaching you then and lovingly pour it into others. Pray for opportunities. Some of you already know the opportunities, right? Maybe your own kids or people around you, right? But pray for opportunities and, and, and carry out those opportunities. Pour those truths into others. Pointing people to Christ. Pointing people to the promises of God. Encouraging them in their faith. May God be glorified as we do that. Let's pray. Father, we we praise you and we thank you for making yourself known um, the way you did to the the saints of old. And now that you've recorded that for us in your word, Lord, we, we praise you for that, that we can know you. By your, by your spirit, through your word. Lord, we thank you for saving us and for sanctifying us. What a joy to know that you are at work in us. You are constantly refining us and, and sanctifying us and preparing us. All the things we face, even the hard things, even the times of suffering are, are your way of, of growing us and even by your grace, preparing us for service to you. Thank you for the privilege of being used by you. Lord, what an what a awesome calling it is to be called saints, to be those who are set apart, who are holy, chosen by God. Father, please open our eyes to to where and to how you are calling us to serve. Please continually draw us near to you that we will continue to to learn more about you and not just in a head knowledge way, but just in a total knowledge and life experience way of walking with you. That we may model that and, and and be used by you to to help others in their walk of faith. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand please and we'll conclude with a song of praise.